listening to sermons from South Point Fellowship, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpointfellowship.org. And if you have a Bible, if you want to go ahead and turn with me, we're going to be ending our series in 2 Peter this week. So we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 15. So 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 15. This is what it says. It says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. The, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you were not carried away with the air of lawless people and lose your own stability but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. The word of the Lord. So background a little bit on this. So as uh, most of us already know, um, this is Peter, and he's writing to several groups of Christians. And this is a time of uh, persecution. This is written shortly before Peter himself is going to be uh, killed for his faith. And this is also a time where there is growing uh, confusion and heresy within the church. And much of what Peter has written about in this letter is how someone can avoid the error of heresy. How the antidote to this heresy is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How can we make sure to avoid it? What in the end is our response supposed to be? And that's kind of what we turn to today. What is our response supposed to be when we live in a, a chaotic world where there's confusion, where there are heretics, where there are false teachers who are gaining influence in the church, and we live in a similar kind of world. And so his wisdom is going to speak clearly to us in our world today. And so what I want to challenge you with our kind of main point, our main idea, main message today is that we are, we, we learn from this passage that in order to avoid these heresies and these uh, false teachers, we're going to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus so that you don't misinterpret the circumstances that you're in, so that you don't misunderstand and misinterpret the truth or the freedom that you have. So we're going to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus so that we don't misinterpret the circumstances that we're in. We don't misinterpret the truth or the freedom that we have. Now on the west coast of Greenland, there is a, a tiny abandoned town if my Icelandic is not too out of date, it's pronounced Ivathut, Ivathut, Greenland. And this mining town has been abandoned since 1987. You can see some really nice frozen tundra pictures of it online if you want to go look it up when you get home at some point. But while it seems very insignificant, for a very short time, 
the fate of the Western world really kind of depended on this tiny little town on the edge of Greenland. You see, during World War II, there was a need for the Allies to get planes that could fly in to Germany or fly to Japan to run these successful bombing missions. But unfortunately, the planes that they could build weren't light enough to do that. And they needed aluminum to be able to build these planes to do that. And unfortunately, the aluminum was too difficult for them to get enough of to build enough planes so that they could go far enough to win this victory. There was one source, one mineral that was able to make that extra extraction process for the aluminum much easier, and that's called cryolite. I've got a little piece of cryolite here. Um, not much to look at, really. Kind of ugly, in all honesty. The only place that you could find this cryolite, which would make this extraction of this aluminum much more affordable and much more possible, was this tiny little mining town on the western coast of Greenland. Now, if you ever watched the Mighty Ducks like I did when I was a little kid, in the Mighty Ducks 2, we learn that Iceland is nice, but Greenland is ice, okay? So that's what you need to know about Greenland. It's covered in ice. It is a, a deep permafrost. It's very difficult to get down into this mine and dig out this cryolite, but it was essential, so essential, that several ships were lost, destroyed by German U-boats who were trying to keep them from getting to this mine. There was an entire uh, U.S. military installation that was put there to defend these miners. There was uh, German spies who were trying to get the intelligence to go and get this because it's the only source in the world where they can get this and make this lunar. Now, it actually ended up being the only mineral that's been completely mined out, and by 1987, the little town there was a ghost town. It was nothing left of it. Now we can, we have a synthetic version of this so that we can get the aluminum out that we need. But for a little while, this little known town was really one of the main things that saved the West that nobody's really ever, ever heard of. But if you were a random soldier or a random miner who was stuck in the ice and the snow underneath the mountains on the west coast of Greenland, looking out at a frozen sea, scared for your life when you were being transported back and forth, that you might be sunk by a German U-boat. It would be very easy for you to misinterpret the importance of your life. It would be very easy for you to misinterpret the circumstances that you were in. It would be very easy for you not to understand your orders or the urgency and the importance of the need for what you were doing. Just as it's easy for many of us as Christians to do these same things as well. And so turning back to our passage today, and we'll circle back around to Ibithut by the end, and we'll talk about it a little bit more. But to focus in specifically in on our passage, what I want us to see here is that we have this comparison of two kinds of people in this passage. We have a comparison by Peter of the godly person and the ignorant person. The godly person and the ignorant person. And so what we're going to see is that the godly person is stable. The godly person is knowledgeable. The godly person is wise. And the godly person is watchful. 
Okay? See this clearly in our text. The second thing that we see is we see the ignorant person. The ignorant person. And so the ignorant person twists the scripture. They twist it. They misinterpret the scripture. They hear the scripture and they don't understand what it means. They don't understand what it's about. They interpret it wrongly. They're easily carried away by the fads and the culture of their day. They're unstable and they are lawless. This uh, reminded me of a psalm that many of you know, Psalm chapter 1. Many of you probably even have it memorized. But it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers." The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I want you to keep in mind these two people as we're going through this passage today. I want you to keep in mind the godly person and the ignorant person, the person who is like that tree planted by streams of water who yields its fruit in season, and then the ignorant person who is like the chaff that the wind blows away. The difference between these two people is really the bookend for these two verses, or these, these four verses that we're looking at today. The, the difference between these two people is that the godly person knows that his purpose is to glorify God and grow in the knowledge of Jesus and grow in grace. And the ignorant person lives as if this life is all about him or her and everything is about them. So that's the key difference, what ends up leading to a lot of these, these uh, the differences between the two that we've seen. So keep these two people in mind as we go through this. And so we look again back at our text in verse 15. It says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. And so this is going to actually tie back a little bit to uh, a verse that we looked at previously in chapter 3, back over to verse 9, where we'll actually go, we'll, we'll look at 8 and 9. So he says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that the Lord, that, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill, fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So the first thing we see from this passage, count the patience of our Lord as salvation, is that we uh, are going to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus so that we don't misinterpret our circumstances. We don't misinterpret the circumstances that we are in. So Christians during this time were being persecuted. They were being imprisoned. They were being killed. It was illegal to worship as they were worshiping. And many of them had heard the message of Jesus that he was going to return and make things right. This has always been the hope and the longing for faithful Christians that Christ would come and set things right. 
And so it was easy for them to look at the circumstances of their world, the circumstances of their life, and say, when is Jesus coming back to fix this? When is he going to come back and make these things right? I'm in prison. I'm being persecuted. I'm about to be executed for my faith. When is he going to come and make this right? And Peter says, don't miss it. Christ is patient and long-suffering for our good and for our salvation. So here's the thing. If Jesus had come and set everything right in 1990, that would have been before I became a Christian. If Jesus had come and set things right in 2008, that would have been before much of the sanctification that has happened in my life, the trials, the fires that I've walked through with him, that he has brought me through, the lessons that I've learned. So there's so much in our life that in the moment, in the circumstances of our life, we look at and think, how is this going to glorify God? What is God doing here? Why can't he come and fix this? And yet the reality is the patience and long suffering of God is for our good and for his glory. So the patience, like we said, connects back to what we saw in verse nine, verse eight and nine. A thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. We see time the way that we see time, very literally, flowing in a certain way. For God, he has a much broader perspective. He created time. He is outside of time. He doesn't look at it the same way that we look at it. He sees the big picture. And even though it's impossible for us to see the big picture the same way that God sees it, because our minds, our finite minds cannot do that, it's important for us to try to have that perspective that God has, that there's a much bigger picture and a much bigger plan that we're a part of, and that it's for our good and for his glory at the end of the day. Now, we can't wait until we're in the middle of a difficult circumstance to learn that hard truth. We need to learn that hard truth now and tomorrow and next week and into the future and have it sink deeply into our souls so that when we're in the midst of a trial and in the midst of a difficulty, we'll know it in our heart and our faith will be strong enough that we'll be able to trust God in the midst of those difficult circumstances. We'll be able to trust him in the midst of that situation that we find ourselves in. Now, I have a son who's about to go into fifth grade. And if my son came up to me and said, you know what, dad, I think I'm ready to go out on my own. You know, I think I'm ready to get a full-time job. And I think I'm ready to go ahead and start driving and, uh, you know, maybe get married. Um, you know, I think, I'm, I think I'm just ready for life. I'm ready. You know, I know I'm, you know, I know I'm young, but I, I, think I'm, I think I'm there. I think I'm ready. If he was impatient in that kind of way, it would be wrong for me to let him do what he wanted because there is life for him to go through. There are lessons for him to learn. There is growing up that he needs to do. There's wisdom that his mother and I need to impart into him before he is ready to go out and take those steps. God sees that big picture in our life. He is in the process of growing us up, of sanctifying us, of maturing us, of, of leading us through these experiences and walking beside us in the midst of them and teaching us the lessons that we need to know and that we need to learn. And so we need to grow in the grace and knowledge of God so that we don't misinterpret those circumstances that we're in. The second thing, we need to grow 
in the grace and knowledge of Jesus so that we don't misinterpret the truth. So that we don't misinterpret the truth. If you look back at verse 16, Peter is talking here about Paul. And we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about this uh, little digression that he makes about Paul. I think it's... um, I think it's uh, one of the the things I love the most about Scripture that there are these little bits of humanity in here where we see that these aren't, you know, super spiritual saints, but they're normal people. And we see somebody like Peter who says, look, this is in completely in unison and in unity with what Paul says. I mean, sometimes I don't understand everything that he's talking about, but, you know, this is consistent with what he's saying. This is consistent with what he's teaching. Okay, so he's saying we have a unified voice, Peter and Paul. They're not teaching things that are contrary to each other. They have one gospel. They have one truth that they're pointing to. Um, He's saying, you know, even if uh, Paul says it in a little more complex way sometimes, and even if it's a little difficult to understand sometimes, this is the same message that the two of us are teaching and the two of us are preaching. But he goes on and he says, "Um, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do with other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. So what he says is, he says, people take this this confusing, these confusing passages in Paul, and they use that as an opportunity to twist the scriptures, which is going to ultimately lead to their own destruction. They twist the truth. Why are we here? What is life for? What is the meaning of all of this? There are different answers to these questions for the godly person and for the ignorant person that we've been comparing in this passage. The godly person is going to begin with, how do I glorify God? I'm created by God. How do I glorify him? What is, as my creator, what is the purpose for which he has put me here? And so he begins to answer those questions beginning with God. Whereas the ignorant person begins to answer those questions with me. I think, therefore, I am. You know, what, what is my meaning that I'm interpreting for this world and for this place? And the answers that they're going to arrive at are going to be very different answers. The ignorant person believes what they want and twists the scriptures to fit what they want. They latch on to air because it gives them what they want in the moment, whatever they're driven by. A lot of times it's just going to end up being whatever the current fad, whatever the popular teaching, whatever the popular belief of the day is. Sometimes reality, scripture, the big questions are hard to understand. If we start, though, at a point of faith and the reality of the truth that we have in Jesus And we start with the reality that the scripture is his word and these are our presuppositions and our trust and our faith is in him. That we're going to arrive at the place that we need to arrive. And we're going to arrive there in humility, God honoring and God glorifying and neighbor loving kind of a way. So how do we apply this to our life right now? We live in a time that is very confused. There's more information available to you in your pocket now than has been available in the the most impressive library 20 years ago. There is more information that you could possibly ever have. 
There's more ideas, more theories. You can hear more people's opinions than ever in the history of the world. And yet we live in a time that is very lacking in wisdom and knowledge, unfortunately. And so if we're going to be God-honoring, if we're going to be humble and God-glorifying and neighbor-loving, we must devote ourselves to the Word of God. We must be still and submit to Him and His truth in humility, not just with my knowledge, but with wisdom. Anyone can learn facts about God. Satan probably knows the Bible inside and out better than you or I do. We see him quoting scripture in the Bible. So anybody can have head knowledge, but the knowledge he's talking about here is wisdom, and wisdom comes from actually submitting to the word of God, believing the words of God, and living them each and every day. And as we submit to his word and as we live his word, the Holy Spirit transforms our heart and transforms our character so it becomes who we are and we become more like Christ each and every day. This is the attitude with which we're supposed to approach the world, not in arrogance, not latching on to whatever idea and fad comes our way, not to whatever we read on social media that given day, We're not supposed to be driven by fears. We're not supposed to be driven by doubts. We're supposed to be driven by the truth of the word of God. And and before you hear me reading too much into this current moment, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not trying to take a side on anything. We're not, that's where we always go to. And that gets us back to the very point that I'm talking about here. We need to approach this humbly, loving our neighbors, loving God, and seeking to glorify him. That should be our stance with which we approach the world. That's the wisdom and the truth that we're looking for. And finally, the third thing that we're going to see, and the third thing we're going to look at, is we're going to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus so that we don't misinterpret the freedom that we have. In verse 18, he says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. You have been set free. If you're a Christian, you have been set free in Christ. The godly man has been set free in Christ. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. But the ignorant man is going to use this knowledge as an excuse to be lawless, whereas the godly man knows that freedom ultimately is found in the yoke of Christ. Freedom is found in the yoke of Christ. Grow in grace and knowledge is a command. He is telling us to do this thing, to grow in grace and knowledge. This passage reminds me, speaking of Paul, of a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, an incredible passage that we don't have time to go and read through completely now. But basically in this passage, Paul is reminding the people there in the church at Corinth of the people of Israel. And he's saying, don't be foolish like the people of Israel who went through uh, redemption from slavery, who were made free, who saw the miracles of God, and then used that newfound freedom that they had to rebel. Use that newfound freedom they had to follow and chase after idols. He says, don't use the freedom that I give you in that way. The freedom that we have in the gospel is to be used to glorify God and pursue him. Don't submit again to that yoke of slavery. 
It's for freedom that he has set us free, and that freedom is that yoke of Christ. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He says in that same passage in 1 Corinthians 10, that whatever you do in word and deed, whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And that's the point of all this stuff. The freedom that we have is that freedom to glorify God in our lives. So imagine again, just for a, a moment, that you are one of those cryolite miners on the western coast of Greenland in the 1940s. It would be very easy for you to, to stare off in the, the, the danger around you, the ice around you, and misinterpret what your life is about, to misinterpret what your life is for, to think that you're very insignificant a thousand miles away from anything. And yet you have the very source that's going to, you're, you're, you're digging for this very source that's going to ultimately secure victory, that's going to ultimately secure freedom. And we have been given, as Christians, the tools, the knowledge, the ability, the breath to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, which is exactly what we need to find victory and freedom in our lives. And we could stand there and stare at our circumstances, or we could, we could be chasing after every different theory or interpretation or, or strange theology that comes our way. Or we can turn to the word of God and the grace that we find in Jesus and the knowledge of Jesus and pursue him with every fiber of our being as if our lives depended on it because they do because our lives and our world depends on it. So we trust his word and not our eyes. We trust that his law is actually freedom, not restriction. We trust that he is in control of the world and of life and not me. We trust ancient wisdom over today's Fats. Let me ask you this is just a, a thought experiment, experiment before we're done. So, would a good Christian in 1836 have supported Martin Van Buren or William Henry Harrison? That was who was running for president in 1836. Martin Van Buren ended up winning. I was more of a Harrison man myself. I don't know about you. The point is not that it's not important who wins that election, because it is. But the point is that when you have a little perspective, things start to dim. I don't think anybody in this room is going to get into a fight over Van Buren or Harrison. We're not going to come to blows over it. And I can guarantee you that probably we're in heaven one day. There will be some believers who were there from both sides of that aisle. At the time, they might not have thought of it. They might not have thought that. It was life or death. It was everything. And it's not saying don't be engaged. Don't, no, as Christians, we're supposed to engage with the world. We're supposed to, to vote our conscience. We're supposed to do these things. But at the same time, the point of this is to say, that's not the ultimate knowledge. That's not the ultimate truth. This is not what it's all about right here and right now. The knowledge that we're seeking is the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we're growing in the grace and knowledge of him. That is the key. And the point that I'm trying to make is that that's supposed to change the way that we approach 
God and the way that we approach our brothers and sisters because it's gonna change our attitude. It's gonna change our heart. We're gonna approach the world as if this isn't what it's all about, but God is what it's all about. If glorifying him and making his name great is really what it's all about. And if that's what it's all about, then it's gonna change the way that we treat and love our brothers and sisters, the way that we love our neighbors. We're gonna approach the world with a little more humility and a little more grace and a little more compassion for the people around us who may not see things exactly how we see them. And so the question for us, a couple of things and we wrapping up right here is, are there areas of your life that you're misinterpreting? Are you misinterpreting your circumstances? where we need to repent and say, God, I'm sorry that I've been so focused on the circumstances of my life that I'm missing the point of what it's all about, that I'm missing you. Are we so misinterpreting the truth because we're following after somebody other than Jesus? We're following after somebody who teaches something other than what's found in the scriptures. Are we being led astray because we're not in the word of God ourselves? Are we anchored to the word of God and to a local Bible-believing church and to a community of faith that can hold us accountable to the truth? Are we just swaying whichever way, whichever way the wind blows? Are we misinterpreting the truth? And if that's the case, we need to repent and we need to, to rely on the ways that he has given us, the people, the relationships, the community of faith, the word of God. Celebrating communion as we're about to in just a minute, every single week. Are we depending on the gifts that he has given us in grace and in faith to help keep us steadfast? Are we misinterpreting our freedom? Are we interpreting freedom as freedom from the law, freedom from any obligation or any duty? Are we misinterpreting the fact that our freedom is found in him, in losing our life, in dying to self, that we're truly able to find freedom? And so ultimately, the challenge for us is to humbly grow in the grace of God and the knowledge of God through the means that he provides, through the word, through the church, through prayer, and through fellowship with each other. So let's pray together. Father God, I want to thank you so much for the opportunity to um, hear from your word today. I want to thank you for the, the challenge of scripture. Lord, as we hear from Peter exactly what it meant not to be taken captive by lawless people, myths, untruths, and half-truths, but, Lord, to be taken captive by you, by the knowledge of Jesus and by his grace. Thank you for Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. Thank you for the fact that we have that truth in him. Lord, I pray that you would help me this week to grow deeper into the knowledge of that truth. And I pray that you would help us to grow deeper into the knowledge of that truth. And I pray that your spirit would apply that truth to our lives. I pray that we would respond in love, in gratitude. And as we respond in love and gratitude to you, Lord, I pray that you would help that to overflow in love for our neighbors in the way that we speak to them and about them. 
in the lives that we live that point people to you instead of making a big deal about ourselves or other men. So Lord, I pray that we would make much of you today and every day. I pray this in Jesus' name.